Good morning. It's good news. It's good news Sunday. Everybody say good news Sunday. No, say good news Sunday. Amen. Glory be to God. Come on, we need some good news. I need a new hip. I'm so hip, I wore one out. <laughs> I was listening to some radio program and <clears throat> recently, and they were telling that, uh, um, uh, uh, talking about news, talking about uh, how, to, how to compel people, and they were actually saying, <clears throat> bad news sells. Bad news sells. Bad news actually, um, if, if you want to gather people and gather finances, uh, find an enemy. Identify an enemy and talk about, talk about the enemy that, you, that, that we must come against. And they actually said, and this is actually, this is strategy. This is marketing strategy, psychological strategy, leadership strategy on one one aspect, one type of it. They actually said, you want to position you and your team as always being the underdog, that the enemy is, is gaining advantage, and boy, we really need to pull out all the stops, because if we don't, they're going to win. They're the bad guys are going to win. So, so send in the money or, or, or go out and vote or go out and do this and support this cause and champion our leader because if you don't, we're going to lose to the enemy, the bad guys. And that actually is the most effective means of raising money, uh, growing an organization, uh, increasing your influence. And the actual program that I was listening to was a Christian program about church leadership. I was like, I don't like that. I'm not going to do it that way. You know, that might work. And it does work. It has, it is effective in accomplishing the goals that they state. Bad news sells, good news stays. Bad news sells, good news stays. You know, because we should be motivated by peace, but too often we're lulled into complacency. But the very thing that should motivate us to win the world. But the good news, Jesus came to bring good news. Glory to God on high. Good news to mankind, right? That's what they sang, the angelic chorus of heaven declared that. Joy to the world. That's good news, man. And in the end, the good news is wins. will win. And, uh, and have an eternal victory. And we've been talking about the good news. We're going to, uh, uh, I loved how during worship and the testimony, or the prophetic testimony that came up here, and um, <clears throat> we're just talking about the temple, and the Bible reading was talking about the temple building. 
And today we're going to look again at uh, some temple theology. And you've seen this video before, but sometimes it's okay to watch something more than once. Uh, So we're going to watch this again. This is the same video Bill shared, uh, Pastor Bill shared at the first first message in this series. So let's uh, watch it. Watch it. Come on, Dan, do your magic. (laughs) I did it from Google Doc instead of YouTube. Maybe that was my mistake. Forty-one years ago. (laughs) True story. I was a brand new Christian. Been saved for probably six, seven months. And I had the opportunity to go to a missions conference. And it's called the Urbana Missions Conference because it was held in Urbana, Illinois. It's still called the Urbana Missions Conference. Even they do, so in the Bible, do, the I, they do in St. Louis. ideas of heaven and earth are ways of talking about God. We have the audio. Okay, here we go. I'll finish that story at the end. Base, which is basically inconceivable to us. So these are... T- So in the Bible, the ideas of heaven and earth are ways of talking about God's space and our space. So I understand our space really well. We live here. There's trees, rivers, mountains. But my understanding of God's space gets a little fuzzy. And what we do get in the Bible are images trying to help us grasp God's space, which is basically inconceivable to us. So these are two very different types of spaces. Yes, they're they're different in their nature, but... Here's what's really interesting is that in the Bible, these are not always separate spaces. So think of heaven and earth as like different dimensions that can overlap in the same exact space. So we talk a lot about going to heaven after we die, but this idea of heaven and earth overlapping, we don't talk a lot about that. Which is kind of crazy because the union of heaven and earth is what the story of the Bible is all about, how they were once fully united and then driven apart and about how God is bringing them back together once again. So let's go back to the beginning, where heaven and earth, they're completely overlapping. Yeah, this is what uh, the Bible's description of the Garden of Eden is all about. It's a place where God and humanity dwelt together perfectly, no separation, and, and humans then partner with God in building a flourishing, beautiful world, and so on. But as humans, we wanted to do things a different way. We wanted got out and we wanted to create a world apart from him. Yeah, so we have these two spaces now. And the Bible actually uses lots of different kinds of words and phrases to refer to these two spaces to make a clear distinction. So you've said that these spaces can overlap, though. So 
explain how that works. Yeah, this is where we have to start talking about temples. Because in the biblical world, you experience God's presence by going to a temple. That's where heaven and earth uh, overlap. Now, there are two types of temples described in the Bible. One is a tabernacle, basically a tent that was built by Moses. And the other was this massive building made by Solomon. And these temples were decorated with fruit trees and flowers and images of angels and all kinds of gold and jewels and so on. And these are designed to make you feel like you're going back to the garden. And at the center of the temple was a place called the Holy of Holies, which was like the hot spot of God's presence. Now we can go and be with God again. But not so fast because the temple also creates a problem. So God's space is full of his presence and goodness and justice and beauty, but human space is full of sin and injustice and the ugliness that results. So how do these spaces overlap if they're so different and they're in conflict with each other? This was resolved through animal sacrifice. Yeah, that's kind of weird. What do animal sacrifices have to do with this? Yeah, the the idea is this. Animal sacrifices, somehow they absorb the sin when the animal dies in your place. And it creates a clean space, so to speak, where you are now free to enter into the temple and be in God's presence. Okay, so if I'm an Israelite and I live in Jerusalem, I might be able to be in God's presence. But you said the story of the Bible was all of heaven and earth reuniting. Right, so we have to keep going in the story where we come to Jesus in the New Testament. And in the Gospel of John, we hear this claim that God became human in Jesus and made his dwelling among us. Now, this word dwelling is really curious. Literally, it means he set up a tabernacle among us. And so what John is claiming right here is that Jesus is a temple. He is now the place where heaven and earth overlap. What's interesting about Jesus is that he isn't staying in this safe, clean space. He's running around, hanging out with sinners. He's healing people of their sicknesses and forgiving people of their sins. He's basically creating little pockets of heaven where people can be in God's presence, but he's doing it out there in the middle of the world of sin and death. And he keeps telling everyone that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he even told his followers to pray regularly that God's kingdom come and that his will be done here on earth just as it is in heaven. But a lot of people are threatened by Jesus and They kill him, which seems to spoil this whole plan to reunite heaven and earth. But we we have to go back to a scene earlier on in Jesus' story where John the Baptist saw Jesus and said, Behold, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus isn't just talked about as being a temple. He's also talked about as being the temple sacrifice. Yeah, so, so the cross is now the place where Jesus absorbs sin to create a clean space that is not limited like animal sacrifices. Jesus' sacrifice has the power to keep spreading and spreading and reuniting more and more of heaven and earth. And this is all really great, but it leaves one big question in my mind, which is what happens when I die? Don't I just fly over to God's space to be with Jesus? Yeah, so a few times in the New Testament, we learn that Christians will be with Jesus in heaven after they die. But that is not the focus of the Bible story. The focus is on how heaven and earth are being reunited through Jesus and will be completely brought together one day when he returns. So in the book of Revelation, we get this beautiful image of the Garden of Eden, now in the form of a city, coming 
to end the age of sin and death by redeeming all of human history in a renewed creation. And God's space and human space completely overlap once again. All right. Can we go back to the slideshow? Okay. <laughs> so there's a real important, uh, the, the video is just filled with a lot of good stuff. And, and I loved how Bill, uh, yeah, there you go. That's the slide I wanted. Um, applied these principles that we that they talk about in this about living the good news by by behaving Christ-like, demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit in your daily life. That through that act, those actions of living out kingdom principles, we actually um, spread the kingdom of God. And that that was Bill's talking. If, if you if you didn't get it, or if you don't remember it, pull it up online. We have all our sermons on YouTube. You can watch it. Fantastic. I'm going to approach the same information, but kind of uh, with a different emphasis. It's interesting here. He starts out the video in the early part of the video. says, the union of heaven and earth is uh, about, uh, is what the story of the Bible is all about. Okay? The union of heaven and earth is what the story of the Bible is all about. The Bible is all about the, the reunification of heaven and earth. That's, that's like the main point of the Bible. But most people don't get that, okay? Even in the video, it's like, well, what happens after I die? Right? Because we're really mostly concerned about us. <laughs> or, you know, how can I have a nice life? Or how can I get overcome this sin? Or, you know, and those things are important. But the big idea of Scripture is, is, is this idea that God's space and human space have been fractured and are separate. And that's not good. And God has a plan to fix it. And all the other stuff, like what happens to you after you die and and how you overcome sin, and how you have a happy life, those are all elements that are dealt with within the grand scheme, the big plan of the reunification of God's space and mankind's space, which the Bible would call salvation. All right? And, and, and sometimes we, we miss the forest for the trees, right? But uh, we're going to zoom back and kind of talk more about the big picture of, uh, of, yes, there's this very real sense that God's space and uh, human space have been fractured uh, because they were created as one, but through sin, uh, there's a, there was a breaking, there's a fragmentation, and Jesus came to bring restoration. And it introduces this whole idea about temple theology. You know, you can study, there are books and books and books and books written about temple theology. And I could preach about temple theology for a year, maybe two, but I'm not going to. We're just going to touch on it. But it's a big deal, understanding temple theology. It runs throughout the whole of Scripture. <clears throat> and uh, the Old Testament especially was temple-centric. Okay? In other words, it, everything kind of led up to the the establishment of a place of worship. And you could only worship God in this designated place. You know, first the tabernacle and then the temple. 
And if and all through the stories of the Old Testament, right, people would build um, altars and high places, and they would end up worshiping demons because it was in the wrong place. Right? And so you, you see the whole, the whole story that Old Testament was dr- bringing people to the place where God appointed as his, where his presence would dwell. And that was for a very important reason to, to teach that there's one God and there's one way to enter into his presence, all right? But that wasn't the end of the story, all right? Uh, <clears throat> what we uh, see in the Old Testament is that, yes, there was a holy of holies, the hot spot of God's presence. <clears throat> but let's think about this for a minute here. If you were, in, you see, if, the guy in the video said, if you're an Israelite, well, you could go into the presence of God. But you know what? If you're an Israelite, you couldn't go into the Holy of Holies. How many people fit into the Holy of Holies? One. How often? Once a year. Huh. What's that say? What's that mean? What significance might we draw from this? Well, I think it, I'm going to just drop two on you real quick. Is that one, I think it speaks is that there's only one Messiah, Jesus. The high priest represented Jesus, the high priest, which was to come. And so it was, God was screaming for a couple thousand years through the Old Testament worship practices that that uh, the salvation of the community of the of the of, of all of humanity even if they were connected with the tr- worship of the true god yahweh was still dependent on the the function of one person going in to offer a blood sacrifice and redemption right but i think there's another level that's personally applicable and that is that even though we worship God in community and you cannot, you cannot separate your relationship with God from your relationship with God's people because the Holy of Holies was in the middle of the temple surrounded by the holy place where there were priests and, and, the, and the, then the, the, the courts where both the, the people of God would worship, the altar and the labor and all the different aspects and then the outer court where the outter court at Jesus's time in and Herod's temple could fit at least 10,000 people and that was in the middle of Jerusalem which was in the middle of the country the nation that God founded but you know what in that in the, in the middle of it all it's about a personal relationship with God And your temple worship communicates both the communal aspect of worship, but that the pinnacle, the place where you encounter God in in, in its fullest uh, manifestation is when it's just you and him. Are you hearing this? Okay. And that's that's a powerful, precious place. And, and, And the New Testament says that we have access we have we have a 
we have a ticket to the Holy of Holies through the body of Jesus Christ that was sacrificed on the cross. You have access to the Holy of Holies, the very place that only one person per year throughout the whole Old Testament uh, worship uh, time could enter. You each and every, what qualifications do you need to have this access? One, that you accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. And so, oh, here's your ticket. You can go in and see God. That's amazing. That's temple theology, right? That we have access to the temple, and it even goes on that we are the temple. And so this, I, this, this, this tension between God's space and, and human space, God's space that's pure and, and, and full of righteousness and peace and truth and justice and humanity that's full of sin and darkness and death and sickness and injustice is still, there's still a tension there, even though there was uh, throughout the Old Testament this understanding of, of temple theology that there is access, but it was limited access, and then Jesus comes and he goes out into the world, and through his actions, through his words, through his presence, um, begins to create little pockets of heaven. I liked how they said that. <clears throat> little pockets of heaven. And then the New Testament is really important to understand this shift in the, uh, the story of the Bible is that the Old Testament all pointed toward Jerusalem, toward the temple to emphasize the, 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 the one way to God through the Messiah, through the high priest that would come. There's one God. But then, bam, once Jesus comes on the scene and he fulfills all of what the Old Testament uh, um, uh, pictured he, he was the priest he was the lamb that was slain he rose from the dead and then all of a sudden the emphasis changes to uh, going right the New Testament is outward focused we don't, we don't go we don't have to go to Jerusalem three times a year aren't you happy I've been there it's a long airplane ride and it costs a lot of money, all right? <laughs> and you can go. It was great. Need, need to see some of the things. But I don't have to go there to meet God, okay? And the whole focus now, because Jesus accomplished everything that needed to be accomplished so that now uh, the, the, the kingdom is outward bound. And so... You know, when I saw that, I saw missions, world missions, all right? Like when I see that picture, I don't see, I mean, I do see, and it's appropriate, and I get the idea of, oh, I'm going to be Christ-like at work and at home, and that's absolutely essential. And if you're not doing that, you can't go any further, all right? A lot of people want to be missionaries, but they don't talk to their neighbors about Jesus. I'm like, dude, if you, if you can't communicate to people that speak the same language, that eat the same food, that live on the same street about Jesus, you'll never be able to do it cross-culturally. Are you hearing me? Somebody say amen. Okay. But what I see in this illustration is reproduction of Christ communities in the world. Because it, it does take a community. Churches. All right? Not just individual Christians, churches. 
Because maturity in Christ absolutely demands doing life together in a community of Christ followers. And the whole Old New Testament just elaborates on the importance of that. Most of the New Testament were written to churches. The epistles were written to churches as well as the leaders of churches. And so this leads us to the Great Commission. I'm going to go through the Great Commission. You should be familiar with it. I was actually shocked at a, a study that Barna did where I forget the numbers, but it was less than 50% of church-going, committed Christians even knew what the Great Commission was. And like only 20%, I know, couldn't quote it or couldn't even say where in the Bible it was. Guys, this was a really important verse, right? So it's Jesus' final words to his disciples before he ascended. He said, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you all the days and from the Amplified, it says, perpetually, uniformly, and on every occasion, to the very close and consummation of the age. Jesus is with you when you're going, doing the commission. All right? And so we're just going to break this down and look at five actions, verbs, that comprise the Great Commission and there's a handout that you can take notes on. <clears throat> there's pens if you need here. And so, <clears throat> yes, uh, the last time I taught, I had a handout, and my wife said, you need to do one every time you teach. And I'm not going to do that, but I did one for this time. <laughs> the first word is go! Everybody say go. go. All right. <clears throat> that means don't not go. Don't just sit there. Don't be a spectator. All right? If you're not moving, you're not going anywhere. It means to traverse, to travel, literally or figuratively. It means it can be translated to lead. I love that. Or to pursue the journey on which one has entered. You need to be going, folks. Uh, in Acts uh, 1.8, uh, uh, it's actually also the Great Commission uh, as recorded by Luke in the book of Acts. It says, and you, Jesus said, you will be my witnesses, witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so this is outward progression. Jerusalem where they were, uh, 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 Judea, which is regionally, Samaria, which becomes cross-culturally, and to the ends of the earth. There's an outward progression of influencing our immediate surroundings and expanding outwardly to the utter end. This is the commission we have. This is the journey that we're called to. And so <clears throat> as much as it is important to get sanctified and filled because you, you, need, you, need you need to love God and know how to serve God in order to lead other people into a love relationship with God, right? So you can't go out empty. But if you just are so focused on getting filled, you just become 
a spiritual glutton. And, and you won't fulfill the commission. You just, that's not right. Uh, that's, that's not going to make God happy. It's not going to make you happy. Actually, it's one, of, it's one of the reasons why Christians get stuck and actually can't overcome sin, can't overcome temptation, get depressed because they're too focused on trying to fix their life instead of fulfilling the commission, which actually is one of the most effective ways to fix your life. Are you hearing me? Sharing the gospel with someone that doesn't know Jesus, and and regardless of how they respond, but almost all of the time, the response just energizes you to want to do it more, especially if someone becomes a Christian. If you lead someone to Christ, you're just so much more motivated. Serious. Why? Because that's what we're called to. You're living your purpose. This is a call for the church, a call for us as individuals, that in Christ's authority and with the Holy Spirit's power, we move onward and outward. Um, so how is it going? How are you doing this? Where are you going this week in response to this commission? <clears throat> it's on the paper there. You need to, you need to write an answer. Decide. Maybe it's to your neighbor. Maybe it's to, to across town. Maybe it's giving money to missions uh, so that someone who's actually committed their whole life to live in another country can do so effectively. Maybe it's um, maybe it's doing some research so that you find somewhere to go. But you need to be doing something. You need to be moving, or else you're not moving. I mean, it's that easy. <laughs> Don't get stuck. You know? uh, and how can we improve as a church? How are we doing this? And, and next week, we're hosting people that are doing it to the extreme. People are doing, next week, we're going to have a team that uh, is part of a ministry that's doing the going part better than any ministry I've ever uh, been connected to. And that's why we're bringing them here. All right? So if you want to learn, improve on the go aspect, come next week. All right, make disciples. In the Greek, that's one word, disciple. It's a verb. All right? We are to be disciples who make disciples. We're called to reproduce. We're called to be students of Christ, enrolling others into becoming students of Christ. All right? Disciple means to reproduce. You can't be a disciple if you're not discipling. You cannot be a disciple because the word, in the Greek, Jesus didn't say make disciples. He said disciple, which means making disciples in English. So if you're not actually discipling, then you're not a disciple. And if you're not a disciple, what are you? Take an unbeliever. You're, you're not even a Christian. Maybe. Did I just say that? <laughs> <coughs> 
How important is it to disciple? Well, it's the definition of being a Christian. According to this, I mean, am I, am I right or wrong here? I got one amen, two, one, three, we're sold. <laughs> now, not everyone's going to do it the same way. You may disciple by teaching your kids a Bible verse. Or, or you may be disciple by running your business in a way that reflects godly characteristics and being ready to explain why when the time comes. <coughs> Discipling, uh, making disciples uh, differentiates us from merely being a social service and meeting humanitarian needs as, as important as that may be. Our primary task is not just to build houses or give out food or give out medicines. It's to make disciples. And if the result of what we're, the, what we're doing or the church is doing is not producing disciples, if it's just improving people's lives, if it's making them more comfortable in their sin, we're actually being counterproductive. All right? We're not fulfilling the Great Commission. We're just being nice people. Now, we're called to be nice. It's good important to be nice people. All that often opens the door so that we can tell them the news of Jesus Christ. Make disciples. Number three, this is a little harder to... Um, translate into our culture. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Baptizing means to dip, immerse, submerge, or overwhelm. Okay? okay certainly it means uh, water baptism, and that's another whole lesson about the significance, the purpose of water baptism. But it means more than that. And I like the word overwhelm. Uh, I think it's really just a, uh, the idea of a tsunami completely overwhelming uh, uh, the land and changing the landscape, right? Because of the force of the influence of the water. And we're to baptize, immerse into the name. And the name uh, equals the authority and also the power as well as the identity, right? And so when you baptize into the name of Jesus, what does that mean? It means you're immersing someone into everything that Jesus is. Right? We're to submerge and immerse disciples, the people that we're leading, into a relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. How are we going to do that? How are you doing it? Can you write down one aspect in your life that you're going to immerse in Holy Spirit this week. I've been thinking a lot about talking in tongues. We, we preached on it a while back. I was thinking, all week today, all, all week today. <laughs> Every day this week. I was thinking, you know, when I'm speaking out loud in tongues, I'm not, I'm not having a mental worry session. When I'm speaking out loud in tongues, I'm not complaining about anything. I'm like, this is kind of like a secret weapon. If you have constant negative thoughts running through your mind, which almost everyone does, talk in tongues out loud. It, it kind of like changes the equation and forces different brain patterns to happen. You know? uh, so that, that just one, how can you immerse your brain in the Holy Spirit? Well, I'm going to talk in tongues. Uh, how, how can you immerse you, uh, uh, your, 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 your thoughts into Christ? Well, read God's word, study scripture, right? 
figure out a way to do this. How are we as a church accomplishing this? And how can we do it better? Because we're called, this is our journey, this is our purpose, this is our commission, this is our mission, the Great Commission. Number four, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And this word, didasco, is actually, it's just the, it is teaching, all right? To impart instruction, instill doctrine, to explain. Just let, let me explain this to you and try to make it understandable. How well are we doing that in our culture? And I'd say, as a whole, the church is doing it horribly. All right? Most people that reject Christianity are rejecting a false version of Christianity. They're rejecting a Christianity that I would reject. Because they're, 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 they've heard the message with an emphasis on stuff that isn't the emphasis. They haven't heard a clear explanation in words and images and ideas that means something to them. And so we need to teach. And we do a disservice if we just preach without also teaching. And in fact, I think you need to teach people into salvation. Being a disciple is having a lifelong commitment to learn and to teach. That's why we are loving learning and, te- and leading. It's, it's the Great Commission in three words. And the church is God's primary instrument to uh, disciple and to structure it. We're just, we exist to, to, to equip you to actually do uh, the Great Commission in all of these steps, but especially the church is especially commissioned to teach and to, to instruct and to uh, defend uh, orthodox theology. So again, how can you do that? How can you, how can you teach someone or something this week? What can you do? Maybe it's just study. Prepare yourself. Maybe it's talk to someone about an idea, something you learned or discovered in your Bible reading this week. In some way, go and do this this week. It's not someone else's job. It's your job in your sphere of influence. All right? <clears throat> and how can we improve? How can we get better at this? How can we fulfill this as a community? In fact, the last one is, is actually the one found in uh, Acts. Uh, be witnesses to me. Uh, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. The word witness is actually martus in the Greek, which means a martyr. Be martyrs. <clears throat> this is a call. Not only that we live for him, but we're willing to die for him. Okay? Revelation says that they were faithful unto death. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. They overcame them by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. Amen. Now this isn't, limited to being martyred, but rather it's being committed to the mission until the day you die. Are you hearing me? So this does mean for those, and actually more people are martyred in our day than ever in in the history of, of Christianity. 
people are martyred every day for their faith. Uh, actually, the folks that are be, will be here next week have had quite a few of the pastors in some of the countries that they minister to. They won't talk about it, but they've told me the pastors have been killed uh, for their faith. In one country, they lost all of them. They didn't lose, I mean, all of the pastors that were they, they had been working with were martyred. <clears throat> Fortunately, we will probably never be in that place. But we are in the place <clears throat> where we live out this mission until the day we die. And so it means that we're in this till the end, even if the end is a good long life, a faithful service, and you, and you go to sleep and you don't wake up when you're 102. Are you hearing me? That's how you become a martyr. Uh, and how are you doing that? What are you dying to yourself this week to better fulfill the Great Commission? How can we, how can we better equip uh, one another as a church? How can we improve in this area? To go, to make, to baptize, to teach, and to be witnesses in the authority and power of God. That's the good news! Everybody say good news. Good news. All right, you want to close up? Oh, glory. All right, would you stand and join me? Let's respond a little bit here. You see how this month came together with the first week we talked about living those kingdom of heaven pockets. Last week, Kathy talked about, you know, sharing the testimony of what God's done in your life, you know, with the people that you know. And today we're talking about doing that all over the world, you know, everywhere we go and being committed to it all the way to the end. So let's just pray a prayer of response to that. What do you say? Yeah, maybe open up your hands, take a posture of, um, you know, surrendering to God. Heavenly Father, we just take this time to look at the good news, what you did, Jesus, and it's beautiful, it's wonderful, it's precious, and we're thankful those of us who are following you, we're thankful to become a new creation in you, to have a place where heaven and earth meet inside of us, a temple. We are a temple of your Holy Spirit, and you're alive in us, and that is so amazing. Thank you. And God, we just surrender our, our life to live that way, to talk that way with others, and to do the mission of spreading this good news around the world, starting right here and ever outward. So God, this week, when it's time to speak up, when it's time to live it out, when there's an opportunity to go somewhere or support someone who is going far away, Lord, help us to do so. Full of your spirit, full of the goodness and generosity you've shown to us. And God, would you just, as this community, would you just grow us in this aspect of life? Grow us in our ability to speak to your good news better, to live it better. We pray for lots of opportunities to go on mission trips, to support our missionaries well, to pray for them. And we just pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on this earth as it is in heaven. In our house, in our church, and all over the world, God. Thank you for the opportunity to be a part of it.